Father, we thank you that, Lord, you did send your Holy Spirit. And as we come to talk about the Holy Spirit, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is here with us. We thank you. We praise you. We continue to welcome you in to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to um, look at the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. But it could actually be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, couldn't it? Okay, so the Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, we could look at it in three phases. So if we look at Acts um, chapters 1 to 7, it's what went on in Jerusalem. If we look at Acts chapter 8 to 12, it's what went on in Judea and Samaria. And if we look at Acts chapter 13 through to 28, it's looking at what went on in the outer parts of the world. And did you know that we're the outer parts of the world here? If you drilled down from Jerusalem and went to the other part, side of the world, you'd get to us. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? So we're, we're in that bit. We're also in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, kind of metaphorically. So the first time that the Holy Spirit came to the earth to ordinary people like you and me, was recorded in Acts. And Jesus, before he went to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait. I want you to wait. I want you to pray. I want you to seek me because the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to baptize you. And when he comes and he baptizes you, Acts 1.8, which I think you can read on the screen there, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're going to have a look and see just what that meant for them, and therefore what it means to us. Okay with that? Doing my teacher thing this morning. Let's <laughs> see how we go. <laughs> oh, I've been on holiday. Can I teach? All right, so this picture shows us what it was like. There were a bunch of people sitting around in a room waiting for something to happen. And when they waited, the day of Pentecost happened. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can you imagine it? It's so scary. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh, wow. Imagine that happening. Now, I just want you to picture it, sort of get out of the land of, you know, on the screen, and imagine that all the guys over here are the ones that were sitting waiting. Can you imagine that you guys are the ones that knew about Jesus and you're waiting in the upper room and you're waiting and you're waiting and when you've waited, suddenly there's a mighty wind that comes in and suddenly you can see flames of fire on top of your heads and you're kind of going, what is this all about? That had never ever happened before. It was a strange thing. And you guys are all the guys that are watching this happen. Now you'd be looking over there and you'd be going, whatever, and this is freaky. But what the other thing that happened is that these guys all started speaking in a strange language, strange to them, 
But miraculously, it was not strange to a whole lot of these people. Now, over on this side of the people, we've got various people who understand different languages. We've got people from China. We've got somebody from Turkey. I think he's probably over here. Um, we've got people who understand Te Reo in different dialects. We've got people who um, have been to the Philippines and probably understand some Filipino. Some people that, you know, we kind of put myself over here, kiss for Hilly, yeah, I can understand another language or couple. Okay, so can you imagine if those guys over there all started speaking at once and somehow or another over here we go, what? They're speaking my language. Whoa, what, what was that? And not only my language, but my dialect. Oh my goodness. Whoa. So... What happened with the um, audience is just as miraculous as what happened with the actual people doing the thing, yeah? It was incredible. Now, some of the people over here said, oh, they're drunk. Probably didn't listen well enough, yeah? But most of the people over here went, this is amazing. And so if we look at what happened. Why did that happen? And there's a picture here. It's probably a little bit hard to... No, no. Yep, that one. It's probably a little bit hard to see all the names of the places. But what happened, the, the setting of this story is that the Jews in Jerusalem were not all Jews that lived in Jerusalem all the time. They were Jews that came from all over the show. Alrighty? So they, their native land, and therefore their native language, was from all these other places that you can see on the map. Okay? So when they were in Jerusalem, no, no doubt, they spoke the language that they could all speak in Jerusalem at that time. But really deep down in their hearts, if you wanted to speak to them really to who they were, in terms of their identity, you wouldn't speak that common language. Right? So when we're in Tanzania, there are about 160 different dialects, I think. And if you wanted to speak to somebody really clearly to their hearts, you would speak to their mother language or their father language. You wouldn't speak to them in Kiswahili. That was a, ma a language that they all understood because they had to, because they had to unify it. Yeah? But if you really wanted to speak to the heart of the people, you would speak in their mother tongue. It's wonderful to hear Ted speaking to Dale here. I love it. But no doubt, Ted, if somebody came from Waikato and spoke, they would use different words, yeah? I remember, um, you know, to me, language and culture are inseparable. And just one little story, I remember when I was teaching up at Tikal, Tussie Nathan was telling me how his father knew about five different words for the bird that we call Godwit. We call the little birds that run around on our beach the godwits. They're the ones that go to um, uh, Siberia. And, but he said for his father, he knew about five different... He called them about five different words, depending on how fat they were. <laughs> Whether they were ready to be eaten or not. They're protected now. But back in those days, they were a delicacy. And so you called a godwit something else. So imagine, again... These guys are speaking that language and they're not just speaking 
my language, but they're speaking my dialect, they're speaking my metaphors, they're speaking what touches my heart. Yeah? It's a very cool thing, isn't it? So, amazed and perplexed. When the, let's read the scripture. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everybody heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, aren't these all people who speak Galilean? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? So what does it mean? I've given a bit of a kind of a, you know, a ponder thing there. What does it mean? Well, for me, the first thing that it means is that God immensely loves every one of these people. He immensely loves, and you guys too, but, you know, for the metaphor, immensely loves the very core of who you are. He immensely loved the very core of all those people that had come from those remote, remote places. The world didn't begin and end at Jerusalem. You didn't have to conform to Jerusalem culture and identity to be loved by God. Isn't that cool? That every single person on the face of the earth is known and loved and able to be spoken to intimately by the Holy Spirit. He knows how to do that. I find that extraordinary. That when I pick up the Bible, God speaks to me in the language that touches me. He's my bridegroom. Alan reads the Bible every morning. The Holy Spirit probably talks to him in a totally different language because he thinks differently to me. Probably speaks in language that's a lot more straightforward. Mine's metaphorical and all over the show, yeah? But that suits me, okay? So God speaks to us in colours and shapes and thoughts and actions and, and everything, but it's a huge thing for us to know that the Holy Spirit has come and he speaks our language. He speaks me. He speaks you. And he values me and he values you. That, to me, is the first implication of what happened there. The other thing is that when we encounter other people, we should also think, as the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit has got a whole heap to say to this person in a way that speaks directly to them. Yeah? And so as we, as disciples of Jesus, as disciples of the Holy Spirit, as people who are continually being filled by the Holy Spirit, get the hang of it, we can hear what the Holy Spirit has got to say to this person and that person and the next person, and it might be totally different. Yeah? So the shape is different. Looking at John over here, his mum was involved in translating the Bible to Tokelon? Yeah. And, you know, to talk to her, it was amazing to hear her wrestling with her team of which particular word you would use to convey that particular English word in the right way to get across what God is trying to say to that nation. Fantastic work. Some words are not directly translatable. I can't take my understanding and portray it and, and kind of enforce it on somebody else. That's not discipleship. That's not evangelism. Evangelism and discipleship is me hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say to this person, 
See, Irene over there, no doubt there'd be a horse metaphor somewhere in there, <laughs> you know, because she understands horses. Yeah? For somebody else, it'll be something to do with flowers, because other people understand flowers. Yeah? So we've all got our particular, it's kind of like having a love language, isn't it? But I think that the Holy Spirit wants to move us on as a church to be able to kind of break through. That was one of the songs this morning break through and increase our ability to communicate across our barriers. And, you know, the Holy Spirit does that. After that happened, there was huge, amazing growth in Jerusalem, in the church. There were people added daily. You know, this passage in Acts 2 reads like the perfect church. Can you imagine having a church like this? They devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Now, if we had a church like that, we'd probably feel that revival had hit. We'd made it, right? We'd be like, yippee. You know, this is fantastic. And in my Christian life, I've read that passage and that chapter many times thinking, oh, wow, if only we could do that. You know, we want to get better home groups. Wow, we want to get people praying more. Wow, we want to, you know, there's a lot of we want to's in that passage. But it's a little bit hard to see perhaps. But can you see the capital letters in blue kind of in the middle of the screen? That's Samaria. Can you see Samaria in there? It's the blue part of the map. Down below it, in capital letters, is written Judea. And Jerusalem is kind of to the right and in the middle of Judea. I need one of those pointer things. Get it? Yep. So Jerusalem was just a small place in the world. And although there was fantastic things happening there... The Holy Spirit was sent so that the Christians would be witnesses not only in Jerusalem and have this fantastic church going on in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria. So I wonder if the disciples, the Christians, might have got a little bit settled there. I'm not sure. Because the nest... Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll go on to the next slide. Sorry, Bonnie. Okay, so I've got a bit of a ponder there. So is this the model for us? And I'm glad that I reminded myself because we could ask these questions for ourselves. Last year, we had fantastic youth. We had growing meetings. You know, we had fantastic worship. We had some awesome meetings as home groups and the over 50s kicked off. We had lots of us there. We had lots happening. But is, is, this, is this it? Is this the final thing? I'm going to suggest that the next part of Acts says no. Okay? So don't, don't get all disturbed and I'm, being, I'm dissing anything. No, I'm not. But I'm just saying there's more. 
all right? So if we go on to look at the, the church in Judea and Samaria, now Judea and Samaria are not actually geographically very far from Jerusalem, are they? You'd think, well, what's the big deal? That's, it's next door. It's not far, you know? It's, it's close. These guys go over there, you know, often, and it's not far, is it? it it's close. But the point is, that it's not far geographically, but it was an enormous distance culturally for these people. It was an enormous shift in their thinking. And so I've written a few incidences there that show what the Holy Spirit did. First thing he did was he disrupted what was happening, and he caused persecution to happen in Jerusalem, so these people had to get out of their comfort zone. He scattered them. Now, if I had been in that perfect church and I was being scattered, I'd think I'd lost something or I'd done something wrong or whatever. I don't know. I'd probably be confused. But it was actually the Holy Spirit who was scattering them. And, you know, it wasn't always according to the strategic plan. It wasn't always according to what we thought we were going to do. Philip was suddenly sent by the Holy Spirit to intervene somebody intervene with somebody who was trundling across the desert. And he went and led him to the Lord. And then next thing, he's taken by the Holy Spirit to another place. And he's found there preaching. Whoa, that's pretty random. That's pretty out of it. But that was the Holy Spirit breaking out, sending us, shifting us, doing something different. Oh, my word. Saul's conversion. Saul was a foe. Saul was the dude that was inciting others and part of stoning the Christians. If anybody you would expect to be saved, it would not be Saul. If anybody you would expect to not trust if he walked into church right now, it would be Saul. He'd be like, oh, what the heck? Do we do lockdown procedures or what? You know, help? What do we do? Lockdown, right, come on, kids, we know the drills. Under the chairs and shh. Yeah? Saul's coming with stones. Okay, so we'd be like, but the Holy Spirit accosted Saul, turned him blind, sent him off his donkey, and saved him. And most of the rest of the New Testament is written by Saul, who became Paul. That doesn't quite compute either. So the foe became the amazing friend. Peter and Cornelius, Peter was the leader of the disciples, and he thought he had it sus, but God sent him a dream. And in his dream, all the stuff that he considered unclean, God said, no, that's not unclean. Those are the people that symbolized, those are the people I want you to go to. And Peter's like, oh gosh, Lord, don't ask me to do that. But then he obeyed, yeah? The Holy Spirit then... um, went ahead and baptised spontaneously people that Peter was preaching to. So do you see what happened? The Holy Spirit pushed them out. The Holy Spirit went ahead of them. The Holy Spirit was behind them. But mostly, the Holy Spirit was teaching them how to get out of their comfort zones and not go a long way physically, but go a long way spiritually, socially, emotionally, and their ability to connect with people that are different from them. And that's exactly what he did on the day of Pentecost, remember? 
He had all this crew that had been waiting speak a language that all this crew could understand. But now it's no longer just a case of opening your mouth and God filling you with a language speaking in tongues. Now it involves you picking up yourself and walking off and encountering with other people. Yeah? So just to put it in our day, imagine all these young people who have been or are, <laughs> have been or are at Abundant Life, where it's quite um, contained, you know, mostly Christian kids there, or those of you that are homeschooled, you know, you're mostly contained, suddenly doing what some of these older ones have done, being propelled out into the world and not going, oh, I don't like that one, I don't like that one, oh, but knowing how to cross those divides, those cultural divides. Not easy, eh? Yeah? Okay? Am I kind of getting the point? Yeah? So, I guess my um, point here is that this required a whole heap more trust. Okay, so I've got another musy little picture there. But it doesn't even look far away. It doesn't even look far away. How come it's so different? It's different because we're inclined to look at the world through our own eyes. And we need to learn to look at the world through other people's eyes. This is one of the things that um, I had to do in the writing of my um, study and my thesis was learning how to step over what I understood through a place of real discomfort to understand how to cross barriers here. And I think it's what we're all called to do. It doesn't matter what your culture is, where you come from, who you are, you're called. God says, I'm empowering you by the Holy Spirit to not just be in Jerusalem, but go to Judea. Judea and Samaria. That's the place of discomfort. Remember Jesus, he met with the woman from Samaria at the well. She was somebody that was outcast. Jesus showed us how. He went and chatted to her, talked in the language she understood, which was, hey, you've had a lot of husbands and you're seeking something that's satisfying you. And she was amazed by him. She said, went back to her people and said, this man's told me everything that I've ever done, and besides, he's shown me how to get living water that's now bubbling out of my soul. This is amazing. This is fantastic. Oh, my word. Whoa. So Jesus did it. Yeah? He was the one who didn't judge the lady who was being stoned because of adultery. He said that might be the law, but hey, Writing on the sand, he said, who, who of all you lot haven't sinned anyway? Yeah? So Jesus is the master example of how to cross cultures. And because Jesus did it, and he knew that we couldn't do it on our own, he sent us the Holy Spirit. So we need to expect that the Holy Spirit is going to cause us to do that. Yeah? So it's not just a case of us trotting along, doing our normal fulfilling our duties, thinking that we're doing Christian life right by doing what is within our own zone. It's about us actually taking some deliberate steps to see if we can connect across. 
Now, it doesn't mean that if you are, um, I don't know, maybe if you come from Timbuktu, that all of a sudden you've got to talk to somebody that comes from Waikikamukau. It just might mean that if you're older, you need to learn how to uh, talk to somebody who's younger. If you're somebody who's been here for a long time like me, I'm a local way back, I need to start to learn to talk to some new people. It might be that you come from a different nationality, but it might just be. If you are somebody that's really rich, you might need to learn to talk to somebody who's very poor. If you're somebody who's really highly educated, maybe you need to talk, learn to talk to somebody that's hardly educated at all. Do you see what I mean? It's not the geographical things. It's the, it's the social, the emotional, the spiritual, the cultural barriers that are between us that we need to start to expect that the Holy Spirit is breaking down. And you know, I've got story after story of how enriching this is. Oh, my goodness. You know, it just is so enriching. And my own family testimony is, is part of that. My mum was Irish came from a very tight background of what was right and wrong, um, lived for 70 years up here. It was 95 when she died. By the time she had been around for so long, when it came to my father's funeral, you would have thought that the funeral was more, um, in many aspects, it was more uh, flavoured by Te Māori that it was flavoured by our normal European funerals. It's very different from my father's siblings' funerals, yeah? It's awesome, and mum's even more so. So it's lovely, isn't it? We're enriched, we're enriched, we're enriched by cultural difference. We're enriched by the people that we know. I just had a, a little aside there that I think I will go into. You know... Um, one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that if you look, look at his gifts that he gives us and his ministries that he gives us, they are universal. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, self-control, those are universal, aren't they? If we go filled with those fruits, they, they don't cross anybody, really. There may be expressions of them that might cross, and we might need to learn what's appropriate in terms of, um, you know, personal space, people's personal spaces and all that sort of stuff. But basically, those fruits are edible from one person to another in every culture, in every age, in every stage. And so as we, again, wait and seek the Holy Spirit, and he fills us with those things, we can be confident that that will help us to cross the barriers between us and others. Make sense? The ministries too, ministries of mercy, of, of giving, of helps, of teaching, of preaching, of administration, all of those ministries are needed in every culture. Yeah? So whatever your gifts are, whatever your skills are, whatever the Holy Spirit has born in you or birthed in you or you've developed through his power, you can be confident that those will equip you to connect with others. Yeah? When we went to Tanzania and I was teaching English over there, 
I took with me the things that I'd learnt in learning how to teach German and te reo. And so I transferred those into my own learning of Kiswahili and my teaching of English. And it was amazing, the response of those people. It was fantastic. When they worked out that I was leaving, the teacher's college coming back home, they all grabbed me and, remember, Alan, it was hilarious. They all grabbed me and they sang and they danced all the way up the road to the point where Oren and Lois wondered what on earth a racket was going past their house. And I thought, well, they shouldn't be making that noise. But it was just so joyous because they'd, we had worked out how to do that cross-culturally together. It was really cool. Okay, so we're just going to go on and look at the ends of the earth part now. Now those, those um, differences between Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's, that's close. But um, when we get down to Acts 15, we see that the gospel spread even further. And so as the gospel went, I think we've got the map up there, this side of the map, Jerusalem, is right down in the corner where the purple and yellow line are together and the red. That's Jerusalem. Up that same side, you can see Syria, Sicilia, Antioch are on this side. And then Paul's journeys went all the way across there to Italy, um, Rome, uh, Ephesus. You know, you, you recognize those words from being the names of the letters. Know, they wrote letters to those places where he wrote letters to those places where he went. But in Acts 15, even as far, which looks relatively close, even as far as Antioch, Sicilia, and Syria, they encountered some huge cultural challenge. Because there were people that came from Jerusalem who said, What on earth is going on with these people? And they're not fulfilling our laws. They can't possibly be Christians. Whatever. They're supposed to be circumcised. And besides, they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing something else, which doesn't fit our culture. Ah, help. This is going awry. This is not good. And so Paul and Barnabas had to go up to Jerusalem. Looks like down on our map, isn't it? But it says up on the Bible. Um, they had to go to Jerusalem and hammer it out with Peter and James and the co, John, the guys back in Jerusalem, the big kahunas, the apostles. They had to go and hammer it out and say, well, what do we do? What do we do? The Holy Spirit sent us here. The Holy Spirit's working with these people. We're having a great time, and, and, but you're disapproving? Your lot up here are, are grumping and growling and we're not fitting? That's not good. And... Peter said this, he said, God who knows the heart showed, Paul said this, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So Peter started to differentiate between cultural difference and the core and the essence of the gospel. So that's our challenge. When we are encountering people that are different from ourselves, how can we pull things down to the core and essence of who God is and what he wants and not get confused by all this behavioral stuff? Yeah? It's our, it's our very good challenge. It's a good challenge for your kids as well. The Holy Spirit is the one who provided answers to them. So I've got another thinking 
little fella, get a bit tired of this dude, but the question is, so how much like the Jerusalemites should the distant peoples be? And the answer is not very much. You don't have to look the same as the dudes that brought you the gospel. You do have to have the essence of God. Now we know that this happened in New Zealand. When the missionaries first came, they had this idea that first you civilise the locals and then you preach the gospel. And they didn't have much success in the first years of the gospel. Hall, Kendall, King didn't have a huge amount of success. But what the major success that happened is when the Williamses came along and they were able to speak to Dell and they taught to Dell to the um, Māori and taught them how to read and write. And a bit like what happened in Acts 8, when the disciples were sent away, what happened was the people that were taught over in Kiriki Bay of Islands, Kirikiri Bay of Islands over there, some of them were slaves, and they were released and sent home, and they took the gospel and their literacy and they taught their own people the gospel and reading. And when the missionaries belatedly caught up with that, they discovered whole groups of Christians, of people who had worked out what it was to love God and know God in their own language, and their own culture. Isn't that awesome? I've um, been taught by people who were descendant from, descended from those people. They're very proud of the fact that they learnt and gained the gospel in their own culture and their language. And we've benefited from descendants from that, uh, like uh, Dr. Sir Mason Jury is one of those people who brought the whole haora idea to us that health is spiritual as well as physical. He um, was a Christian that was descended from the people who were taught by his own people. Awesome, eh? Yeah? So... See how life is enriched if we get this right. <laughs> yeah? So, I just want to change one little tack now and it won't take much longer. But um, as I've been talking to people after summer, you know, I'm very conscious that it's all very well to think of Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outer ends of the earth. But, you know, sometimes the very closest people to us feel like the most distant. It's the hardest to share the gospel with the people that are the closest to us. And because we've all had holidays and we've all been with Fano, we come sometimes like, oh, blimey. You know, sometimes it's hard. And so I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about the epistles. So if we go on to our Transforming Our World slide, um, I just borrowed this slide. You know, I, I don't expect you to to get all this, these words, but the picture is that the story of Acts, you can read the story of Acts, but behind that, to get more information and more detail, try reading the epistles. The Acts tells you what happened, but the epistles, in other words, the letters, tell you more detail of how these guys worked it out, how they worked the gospel out into their everyday lives. I used to absolutely love reading James, Colossians, Ephesians, especially when I was first a Christian, because I was like, how do you do this? Well, actually, it tells you, in places like Ephesians 6, it tells you, don't anger your children. Okay, how do I not anger my children? They annoy me. 
Um, it tells me, uh, honour your father and mother. Oh, but mum and dad don't always do the right thing. Oh, it tells me to, um, if I was a child, obey my child, uh, obey my parents. Oh, but they don't always tell me the right thing. You know, so it's the rubber that meets the road stuff in the epistles. And again, it's the Holy Spirit who authored those books, and it's the Holy Spirit who can teach us how to alter our lives so it works better. All right? It's the Holy Spirit who does that. I love, and this crew, a lot of these crew will be in my classrooms or have been in my classrooms, will we'll know that I like asking the question, what worked, what didn't work, and how can we change it? And I do that at home too. Last year, you know, I spent most of my time in the kitchen, didn't have a lot of time with grandkids, worked hard, thought I was doing my motherly thing, uh, got a bit worn out. This year, my daughter said, enough of that, we're going to have a roster. I was like, oh, but I... Now, calm down, Mum, you can still provide, you can still be Mum, but, you know, let's share it around a bit. We had a fantastic Christmas, yeah? But it takes... The willingness to change, it takes the willingness to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. It takes willingness to actually let the Holy Spirit in to those areas where the rubber meets the road. Yeah? And so it's not just, you know, I'd never want to stand up in church and say, it's only what goes on in church and it only goes on in what we're doing to witness. No, it goes on in family. If we can get it right in family... Yes, that's really what transforms the world. We are the distant ends of the world, guys. And it's our job to take what the Holy Spirit has to offer us through the Word and rattle it around, mull it around, eat it up, chew it up, and work out what does this look like for me today? What does it look like for me tomorrow? What does it look like for my whanau? So we are definitely in the business of establishing God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, not by ourselves, not by just conforming to some sort of a routine of what we think church ought to be like or home ought to be like, but engaging with that person, the Holy Spirit, who knows us through and through. So if we go back to our flick through to the last um, slide, thanks Bonnie, you've done amazingly. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The key there is we've got to wait and we've got to understand that the power, the empowering, comes by the Holy Spirit. Welcome him in. Ask him in. And think... This person, the Holy Spirit, speaks my language. He speaks to who I am. He knows me intimately. He can do this for me. Cool, eh? Yeah? So let's pray and I'll hand over to Pastor Paul. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you that Not only can he be our friend, but he can also be the one who commands us. He can be the one that rebukes us. He can be the one that directs us. He can be the one that opens 
out new areas for us. He can be the one that pushes us through. He can be the one who who causes us to just go into places we would never go on our own. Oh God, we pray. More of you, Holy Spirit. More of you, Holy Spirit. As a church, we ask. More of you, Holy Spirit. As individuals, we ask. More of you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We long for you. We open ourselves up to you. And we declare that you are God. You are God. We trust you. Thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.